With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, here we go. Stand by. Three, two, one. The thinking atheist. It's not a person. It's a symbol. An idea. The population of atheists in this country is going through the roof. Rejecting faith. Pursuing knowledge. Challenging the sacred. If I tell the truth, it's because I tell the truth. Not because I put my hand on a book and made a wish. And working together for a more rational world. Take the risk of thinking for yourself. Much more happiness, truth, beauty, and wisdom will come to you that way. Assume nothing. Question everything. And start thinking this is the thinking atheist podcast hosted by seth andrews been working on my snark lately i'm releasing a speech in the next month or two it's called you are evil and you must be destroyed Restoring our humanity in an inhumane world. And you've heard me talk a little bit about that. But I say in the speech, and I will say as well here, I will never surrender my snark, especially when it comes to ideas. And the reason I say that is because I just came off a tweet from a guy named Grant. Grant makes this declaration. He said, Adam is not myth. Job is not myth. Noah and the global flood are not myth. Jonah and the great fish are not myth. When the Bible details an event, that event actually happened in history. Of course, there are so many problems with this. So many problems. The Bible being self-referential, so it's true because the Bible says it's true, or we simply don't need a corroborating source. Anyway, I, I snarked. I snarked. And I replied, Never trust a book which says an omniscient yet perpetually surprised deity knocked up an unwed teenager via ghost sex so the baby could become a meat offering to forgive a human sin virus which began via the naughty fruit munching of a garden-dwelling dirt man and rib woman. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just tossing it out there. I, part of me wants to rewrite the Bible. I just want to go and take the actual stories and just rewrite them in my own language. Would that make me a bad person? Like, would you read a Bible where I sort of reformatted 
the uh, Adam and Eve story, the Noah's Ark story, the Jonah and the big fish story, the Samson and the Esther and the Joshua story, even the Jesus Christ story. And I was just sort of retelling it using my own little special language. Would you read that Bible? It's tempting. Be a shit ton of work. <laughs> it's, but it would be tempting. I don't even know what I'd call it. I think there's already an atheist Bible commentary. You know, there's a skeptic's annotated Bible. Uh, there's there's got to be a verse. Somebody's done this. I think, uh, actually, Chris Matheson did a version of it when he did the story of God. But I don't know. I'd like, part of me wants to crack at it. Maybe years down the way, if I have nothing else to do. And wouldn't that be refreshing? Obviously, I've been working on the new podcast, True Stories with Seth Andrews, and uh, so I'm trying to get that sucker noticed, and you would be doing me a huge favor if you would subscribe on your podcast app, True Stories with Seth Andrews, or go to truestoriespodcast.com. I'm preparing ghost stories. Of course, we approach the month of October, and it is the time of ghost stories. After a decade of doing these, it is a little bit harder to find stuff we have not already done. Original material, you know, I'm always looking, you know, after a while they become these tropes that you've already done. You know, the pattering of little feet and the clock, you know, the grandfather clock and there are scary dolls and someone was murdered in the attic. And, you know, this haunted house, that haunted house... After a while, you've heard it all, or I worry that you've heard it all. So I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to come up with something new and original and fun. And working on the Ghost Stories podcast, I'm struck by why I am attracted to dark stories—not just ghost stories, not just horror movies, but like true crime. Anybody else hooked on true crime stuff? Even the sensationalistic stuff. It's on Netflix. Oh, look, a limited series about a serial killer or a tragedy that took place or an unsolved crime. Stuff like The Staircase or I Am a Serial Killer or whatever. It's why I loved the show Mind Hunter, which was put on hiatus by Netflix after two seasons, and I'm still wailing and gnashing teeth over that. Finish Mindhunter, you're just getting into BTK and the series has just stopped. You can't do that to us. You can't do it to us. But I'm gravitated to that kind of stuff. Natalie thinks you're just dark, like you've got a darkness in you. She's being facetious. She's being funny. She knows I'm a good guy. But she's like, <laughs> she's like, oh, great. There's crime and murder. Oh, well, Seth's going to go watch that. What is that about? I uh, was listening to an interview of someone about, uh, I'm trying to remember the context to forgive my vagueness, but they were talking about these horror movie directors, whether it's Sam Raimi or David Cronenberg or whoever, and how some of the people who produce some of the darkest, bloodiest material are actually some of the sweetest and most benign and caring and compassionate and thoughtful and intelligent people on the planet. They don't run around thinking, I wish to see people murdered, but they play in that sandbox. So if you appease the darker shade of the human condition, if you enter those dark waters from a position of safety, is that a kind of therapy? 
where you were able to exercise the demons, if I can say that in a non-spiritual sense. I find this fascinating, the psychology of the horror film. Maybe I will see if I can look up uh, a psychologist who has done some research on this and Maybe we can speak about the the dark recesses, the deep basement hidden inside the human mind. Do we all have a dark side? Does everyone have that little place, that forbidden zone, a region where the evil lives in safety? Hmm. I have questions, my friends. Two zero eight. Hi, who's this? Hi, Seth. It's Jane. Jane, thanks for calling. What is on your mind? You're welcome. My husband calls those uh, murder documentaries. We've called them murder menturies. Murder menturies. asking me. Uh-huh. Yeah, are we going to watch your murder menturies tonight? Okay. Well, I can. It, I can it just helps me to know that I'm a normal human. I'm not fucked up like those people that. <laughs> did what they did. I, I think that's my thing. It's like, am I a good person? I watch the murder mentory and go, yep, I would never do that. <laughs> oh, so it's a comparative exercise. Do. Well, you know, I didn't slaughter yeah. my whole family with an ax, so I must be doing pretty well. That kind of thing, Jane? Right. Uh. Exactly. Yeah. It's like when I'm angry, so I turn on the heavy metal music and just blast it and just burn my anger out. Just exercise. The exercise the yes. demons. Just express yourself yes. and get the darkness out there. That's good medicine. Thanks for sharing this dark little moment. And, uh, you know, I wish you all health and safety and goodness out there. And I appreciate you calling. Thank you. You too. See Bye. you later. Sorry, I'm, I'm having a hard time connecting sentences in my brain, which is really tragic for a communicator. I'm supposed to be able to like tie my thoughts together in a you know, cohesive way. And instead I find myself hitting a wall. You ever have those days? I haven't been sleeping very well. I keep waking up and then Natalie's like, well, why did you wake up? And I don't have a reason. I just woke up. I'm not stressed. I don't have, you know, there wasn't a terrible thing that happened. I'm not working on any immediate projects just finished a couple of big ones. My speaking tour season is winding down. And I, I, you know, I just wake up and I lay there and I look at the ceiling. And then Cat realizes I'm awake, so he jumps up next to my head and he purrs. And so I pet the kitty boy and then he sort of melts into my head and my neck here and I have my hand on him. And so he, he enjoys that. But I still can't sleep. Get up, go to the bathroom, come back, lay back down, staring at the ceiling. A half an hour passes, and then I find myself getting irritable. Damn it, I'm tired. I need to sleep. And I read somewhere years ago that if it's more than a half an hour, you shouldn't just lay there. You should just get up and do something. Watch television, read a book, do something. Don't just you know, sit there, lie there, whatever. But get your ass out of bed if it's more than a half an hour. So I've sort of adopted this rule, whether it's true or not, I've adopted this. So then I get up and I wander, shamble the house looking for something to do. Oh, look, I'll check social media. Maybe I'll throw on a document and watching a documentary about Phil Tippett, the stop motion animator. So I watch 20 minutes of that and then I go down and grab a snack and then I lay back down, fall asleep and 
Two hours later, I wake back up, staring at the ceiling. Here comes Cat. Rub on him. He melts into my neck. I just can't sleep. And what happens is, is that it affects me mentally. The next day, I feel like I have brain fog, like I'm on flu medication. Do you ever go through this? I feel like I'm on NyQuil. I'm just not 100%. I'm half asleep. I'm shambling through my day. How do I fix that? Well, everybody's like, well, take melatonin. Melatonin is great for sleep. I've tried it, haven't had any success. Someone else said, you need to have a drink of wine, glass of wine before you go to bed. Except I'm I'm not a drinker. I mean, I, I've got a little thing, a fireball. Like, I don't like the taste of alcohol. But on the very rare occasions that I do have something to drink, I love cinnamon whiskey. I love it. And they say you have to be very careful with fireball because it is so sweet and so cinnamony and so delicious that it will get ahead of you and then you will wake up naked at the zoo. So be careful with fireball. So I just have a tiny, tiny little bit. But I don't want to drink before I go to bed. I don't want to drink anyway. I just, you know, twice a year I'll have a sip of something. Exercise? Hell, I'm on the tennis court four days a week. Sometimes five days a week. Exercise isn't a problem. How do you get to sleep? How do you get through the night without waking up every 90 minutes? Anyway, if I hit a wall, if I start babbling, if I can't connect the dots, please forgive me and know that I am going through a personal struggle. I can't sleep properly for some reason. Now, the Christians would say it's because I'm in rebellion against Jesus. How can he have peace in his heart if he doesn't have a personal relationship with my Lord and Savior? If you want peace in your heart, drop to your knees, Seth, and say the prayer. No, I think I'm good. Uh, Jasmine at 704, are you with me? I am. I'm with you. That sounds really cryptic. Like, lo, I am with you always, is how that sounds, Jasmine. (laughs) Hey, thanks for calling. (laughs) I am with you sounds like it sounds very Victorian, like we're part of a gothic ghost tale. I didn't even realize it yet. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. What's on your mind? What do you want to talk about? Uh So I heard you, uh, when I first called in, you were talking about true crime, and I wasn't sure if you uh, were aware of um, a lot of the like YouTube channels that focus a lot on true crime, but there's a lot of them out there. And I think, you know, if you're into true crime, I think you'll love those. So on YouTube. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of like YouTubers who their whole thing is uh, true crime. There's uh, like, this is monsters. That's probably my favorite true crime channel where they talk about serial killers and all that good stuff. So what do you think our uh, attraction is to this kind of thing? What attracts you? I think me personally, I think it's just, sort of exploring the darker side of human nature, I guess, you know, just like learn about some of the crazy messed up things that people do wondering like, why, why would that, why would they do that? And sometimes it's also for me, some of the criminals are really, really dumb and I love a good <laughs> dumb criminal story as well. So <laughs> yeah, I love a good, like, Oh, they did all the wrong things and they got caught. Like, I love a dumb criminal story. So I I think those are the two things that attract me personally. 
true crime. I will. Oh, yeah. uh, I'll do a YouTube search, and you know, it's the kind of thing that I like to listen to or or watch when I'm either cooking dinner or walking the dogs or something. So I'll I'll check into that. Yeah. That's good stuff. Hopefully, you'll find something good. There's a lot of good stuff out there. So all right. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, Jasmine. No problem. All right. Catch you later. All right. This is how bad I've got it. Uh, here's a list of the audiobooks that I listened to. I just uh, finished a drive. I did a whole weekend where I hit Dallas, San Antonio, Houston, and back in 48 hours. And so I have audiobooks that I listen to. So I've been listening to John Douglas, who is a behavioral profiler for the FBI or was, and he helped to develop the. Uh, behavioral profiling unit for the FBI back in the 1970s, John Douglas. And so he had uh, written a book called Mind Hunter, which the series was based on. And he has another book I'm listening to called The Cases That Haunt Us. I'm also listening to Robert Graysmith's book Zodiac, on which the David Fincher film was based. This is what I do for fun. This is my bubblegum for the brain. What's wrong with me? Natalie would be like, where's the sunshine and beauty and light? And I'm like, well, I have plenty of that. I'm good. Now let's go listen to John Douglas talk about serial killers. I'm actually featured, like on camera, being interviewed in a true crime series, the four-part series on epics, E-P-I-X. The series is called Fall River. And it was about a series of murders that happened back in 1979 and 1980. This was when the satanic panic was really ramping up and people had blamed the killings on Satanists. And the producers of Fall River over at Blumhouse had discovered my work, my writings, my speeches about the satanic panic. And so they called me. Hey, we'd like to have you on camera to sort of give some backstory about what was going on in the culture. And, I mean, it was just tragic. The more you see just the hysteria, and not just in the public consciousness, but in police departments, among private investigators. I mean, you expect objectivity. Let's follow the facts. Let's be rational. Let's look at the evidence. But you can see how people in positions of authority and influence who have the power to prosecute and even imprison human beings can get caught up in this panic about demons and the devil. He's everywhere. And he's causing people to carry out these heinous acts against humanity, the satanic panic. Anyway, I'm mostly featured in episode two. There are four total episodes, but if you're curious... I think it came out all right. I was nervous. I was afraid, you know, how do I look? How did they frame me? Which sound bites will they use? Do I look like an idiot? I was pretty happy with it, but it's called Fall River, and you can find it on Epics or like rent it on Amazon streaming or whatever. Just FYI. Uh, James 757, hi, you with me? Yeah, I'm with you. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Yeah, you were just uh, talking about the ghost stories and the people were hitting on the human condition. Why do we do these things? And uh, I, I think uh, you mentioned it before. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, your 
it's it's the way our mind copes with things that we shouldn't have to cope with and it prepares us all all these mental exercises everything we do including religion it's just the way we cope with the world around us and i think true crimes appealing and then become more so because you can't say it's completely fake but in the end it's still a narrative being told by somebody else so one way or another you're still experiencing a story and it's just story sharing do you think it's uh, mentally preparing us for the darkness of this world, for lack of a better way of saying it? I mean, it could be. I mean, morbid curiosity, especially as society has, well, in some cases, civilized, or maybe not civilized completely. It's just, we live in a very, very domesticated world, especially if you're in, you know, any kind of a quote-unquote first world country. Our lives are extremely comfortable, even for those of us who might not be the most comfortable, relative to a couple hundred years ago. We're doing really well, and, and these things become isolated and yet they're still prevalent you know we still have high crime rates and it seems like we're very insulated it's more stimuli we're violent creatures than we always have been but most of us don't see real violence on scale all the time so under the civilized self we begin to see the potential for uncivilized behavior you and i have you know we've overcome our primate tendencies our animal instincts but to see those people who oh, not at all. who may not, well, I mean, you and I are not out murdering each other in the streets, is what I'm saying. No. No, well, and, you know, of course, and I, and I would wager most people aren't. I would but wager I, I, that I as well. End, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in the end, we're still the same primates that we were thousands of years ago. The only thing that's changed is how we've made our physical condition more comfortable. You know, the, the things that we take for granted as just being normal parts of life that we don't even think about how they operate. And in the end, we haven't really changed on a programming level, if you want to use that word. I know it's dangerous, depending on who you're talking to. They, they think design no, and everything else. I get you. I mean, really, there's, evolutionary there's, programming, I get that. We're coded a certain way. Sure. There's so many things that we do, uh, the, the way we make decisions. There's, there's so many things that we do all the time that are really based on the same. We make decisions in a highly technological world. That's just based on the same primate programming we had thousands of years ago. And, you know, it's, I guess, I guess it's kind of off track now, but yeah. No, 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 I got you. I've been doing the same thing. I've been kind of drifting around. I'm like a, you know, the lightning bolt, instead of being cloud to ground, I'm sort of taking every streamer that comes along. So I totally get you. It's an interesting thought experiment, man. I appreciate you, James. Thanks for calling the show today. Yeah. Thanks, sir. All right. See you later. Bye. So I took the liberty of Google searching. On NBC, there is an opinion analysis piece dated 2021 by F. Diane Barth, psychotherapist. The title of the article is, Why Do We Love True Crime and Is It Healthy for Us? Now, I normally don't read anything cold on the show. I normally try to go through and know what's coming. But we're both going to discover this article as I read it for the first time. It goes like this. Books, TV shows, movies, documentaries, and now podcasts about real-life crime have been popular for years. But as the Saturday Night Live skit Murder Show from earlier this season so cleverly highlighted, it was a guilty pleasure for many, slightly dirty, and never discussed. Adweek however, recently noted that there has been a dramatic increase in interest in the genre over the past 12 months. Why did you kill me? White boy, this is a robbery, the world's biggest art 
Heist, Murder Among the Mormons, and Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, all cracked the top 10 most popular shows on Netflix. While Forbes noted that the biographical documentary The Sons of Sam, A Descent into Darkness was briefly the number one show on Netflix when it premiered in May. Still, some worry that consuming true crime stories is psychologically unhealthy, potentially re-traumatizing survivors of violent crimes on the one hand and desensitizing viewers and readers to the real meanings of these behaviors on the other. As a psychotherapist, I generally assume that something so popular must have some mental health implications. I started asking questions and discovered that many people I know are secret fans of the genre or could connect me to someone who is. I learned that while there can be some sense that you're watching out of curiosity, like rubbernecking after a car accident, there is also a lot of psychological stuff going on. For example, Lauren Jacobson, who has been watching true crime since she was a teenager, told me that it seems odd, but she falls asleep better when she is listening to the podcast, My Favorite Murder. Writer Kelly Sue DeConnick, Captain Marvel and Bitch Planet, similarly told me that true crime podcasts soothed her around the start of the Trump administration and then ramped up at the start of the pandemic. Melinda Swan, on the other hand, said, These shows are fascinating because they show other real-life humans. They open the door to how others live. And a man I spoke with who wished to remain anonymous said, It's entertainment, which is horrible to say, but it's also fascinating to see how an investigative journalist can dig beneath the surface and put pieces together to come up with a new answer to a crime that was unsolved or solved incorrectly. What could make media about violence feel so calming? A pervasive sense of helplessness which many people have felt, some for years, some for only the past few months, can be modified or even lifted by seeing someone else speak about their pain and have it recognized. Kathleen Check, a psychotherapist in Chicago with whom I spoke, said true crime media provided a particular kind of escapism during the pandemic. But, she added, tuning in and following the specifics of a crime also creates a false sense of being able to see inside the mind of a criminal, thus creating a psychological protective barrier. If I know how criminals operate... I can protect myself. Rick Nizzardini, a licensed clinical social worker in San Francisco, told me, These shows touch on the hallmark elements of trauma, a sense of powerlessness, a shattering of our sense of safety in the world, and the violation of attachments to family, friends, and community. He added, This can raise emotions to the surface that often feel disassociated, or cut them off from processing, but can be helpful for recovery in the right context. True crime may then help us manage our fears about the world. DeConnick's friend Neil Gaiman sent her an early draft of his children's book, Coraline, which 
She Told Me is a rather frightening book that often terrifies adults, but children seem to universally adore. She added, He says that kids already know dragons exist. What they crave is assurance that dragons can be defeated. Several fans of true crime also told me they feel both blessed and guilty, knowing their lives are better than those of the people featured in true crime media. And the article goes on. I may bookmark this and come back to it. Again, it was posted in NBC News from last year. Why do we love true crime? And is it healthy for us? Michael at 330. Hi, are you there? Yes. Thanks for calling, Michael. We're talking about whatever. So whatever you want to talk about. First, I want to tell you that I am a huge fan. And I want to tell you why I'm a huge fan. Um, I'm one of those people that's been an atheist probably since I was six years old. I remember being in church with my mother, and they were given the the sermon. And I I swear this is true. I was six years old. I'm sitting in church. They're given a sermon of the resurrection for our forgiveness. And I thought to myself, well, why didn't God just say, I forgive you? Why all the extra stuff? Like, it didn't even make sense to me then. But I had always been somebody who wanted to be a believer and... When I started listening to your show, you made me comfortable to be an atheist. And I I don't know how I can ever pay that back. Like, you made it okay. You're so gentle with people that call. I just wanted you to know that, that uh, you've made it easy for people like me. And and I appreciate that. Oh, that's huge, man. Thank you so much for the kind words. I want to be an encourager. And I want to be the kind of show I wish I'd stumbled upon when I was crawling out of the faith, you know. So... uh, if the message you took away was it's okay and the journey belongs to you and stay curious and live your life, man, that makes my, it makes my week. And I'm so glad you shared it, Michael. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. You have such a gentle soul. And I think anybody who listens to the show believes that. Um, and, uh, and I really appreciate you and people like me appreciate you. Thanks so much. Have a All wonderful right, week. We'll day. see you later. You too. Bye. Right, bye. See, despite the darkness in my soul, Maybe I'm a gentle person. Maybe there's hope for me. That is huge. I mean, to hear somebody articulate it like that. Because, you know, you produce a show, and I'm a little bit of a control freak. Many people are like, well, Seth, I know you're exhausted, and you're spinning all these plates in the air. Maybe you should duplicate yourself. And it's a valid point. Maybe you need, I don't know, assistance, volunteers, employees, helpers, a staff, whatever you want to call it. The problem is, and this is a blessing and a curse, is that I know exactly the way I want it done. And I am always weird about like what happens if someone doesn't get the temperature that I'm trying to come up with, like to be strong, but also kind, you know, to know when to use snark and when not to use snark. And where is the line? And if you cross the line, when do you go back and reverse and apologize? And, uh, you know, just uh, I just struggle with it because in some ways, you know, would I like to offload some of my inbox? And at the same time, uh, you know, I know what I want. I know how I want it done. Anyway, I, that's a digression. But to hear somebody say that they got it. Like what they took away was it's okay and that there's kindness and humanity as part of this show and the culture and the community. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
I think I had to reverse myself or not reverse myself, but uh, to make uh, uh, an elaboration, an exploration just recently on Twitter. The uh, story had come out about Britney Spears. Uh, I'll take this digression here since we're talking about whatever. But uh, she had come forward earlier this month to say that she was an atheist. Now, for those who are not familiar, and I'm not hugely familiar with the story of pop star Britney Spears, she's been going through uh, some sort of a custody financial battle with her father and family. It's just been insane. Uh, there was a conservatorship that was going on that had been going on, and the grandparents were involved, and it was just terrible. And so her position was, I no longer believe in God because of the way I have been treated. And don't get me wrong, I am delighted that she is an atheist, not because I love atheism, but because I think life without the idea of gods and monsters is a better life. You're more apt to be rooted in the real world. But I had articulated a few concerns that I'm like, well, is that really the best reason? Like, people treated me horribly, there is no God. Maybe, like, would a God have allowed that? I mean, there may be some validity to that, but I had, uh, I think I had questioned, is this really the best way to come to the rejection of deities, to the non-belief in gods? And um, several people uh, in this community, I know Nick Fish over at American Atheist and a few others came forward and they were like, this is not the time to challenge or chastise Britney Spears for how she got there. And I wasn't chastising. I think I was just saying, if her reasoning isn't good coming out of a God belief, I worry that a bad reason might actually then lead her back in to God belief. I felt like at the time it was a valid point. But I do take the larger point that everybody was making, and I received that. And I'm willing to course correct that and say, I'm glad she's out. I would rather an atheist Britney than a superstitious Britney. And good for her. And I want to create a welcoming space where she doesn't feel like, you know, she's being sort of dismantled or we're overanalyzing her reasoning or we're putting all these qualifiers in place. I, I get that. I get that. I receive that. And I am more than willing to apologize and course correct. I think our reasons do matter. But, uh, you know, I mean, she's on her journey, which is the whole point, right? Stay curious, live your life, be authentic. That's the vibe I was trying to get across. And, and uh, so anyway, would someone else know to do that? Would they know where that line is drawn, when to step back, when to apologize or when to explain or try to have a conversation? I don't, I don't, I just can't offload it. What's wrong with me? And it may, it may have already limited what this show could be, what the, the community might be, how much we can grow. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm like that, um, you know, that narrow straw and not enough is, there's just not enough bandwidth for something to get through and it will always limit what we are. But I, th I think this may be a quality over quantity conversation. You know, maybe it's more important to protect the integrity of what we're about here. I just went off on another streamer. I need to get in my lightning bolt is taking the streamers today. I'm so sorry. Let's continue the conversation. Many more of your calls coming up in just a second. Hang on. 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Did you like the show early and totally commercial free? Become a patron with my heartfelt thanks for your support. Patreon.com slash Seth Andrews. Talking about our attraction to, I don't know, dark things, the dark shades of humanity, true crime, that kind of thing. Back to the phones. Dana at 316. Are you with me? Yes, I think so. Good to talk to you. I kind of want to just maybe get a little bit more insight regarding Britney Spears and her family and how she, you talked about, it wasn't really a good enough reason. I, I kind of agree with that to a certain extent. But part of one of the reasons why I consider myself an atheist is because if I have to have a reason to be a good person, if I have to have a threat of hell or the promise of heaven to do the right thing, then am I really a good person to begin with? And I think that that kind of plays into that, where her family wasn't necessarily doing the right things for the right reasons. I mean, yes, she had issues, and yes, she was needing some assistance or intervention, but at what point did they need to let her be the adult? She's gotten the help that she needed. At what point in time does she have you know, agency over her own life? And I don't know if they've used the right reasons necessarily going forward after that fact, continuing to keep her in that situation so I kind of understand why she would feel that, you know, becoming an atheist is, is because I think her family has been very religious. And so they haven't exactly been authentic, I guess, is the best way I could put that. Okay, that well, uh, so your perception is, and I don't know, that behind this conservatorship and all this other stuff that's going on, there has been kind of a flavor of religiosity informing some of the bad behaviors. And and she has seen, well, this this is not what a loving God would allow. I kind of think so, because if her family was truly authentic and truly religious in following the teachings that most people tend to think of as being Christ-like or the loving God per se, they wouldn't be using their own motives and their own drives to take care of her, do the right thing. My mom recently had an accident. She fell from the top of our stairs. She's been in and out of the hospital since April. Now, she's very religious. I'm not. But at the same time, I'm not looking for the religious thank you or the whole to do the right thing, to be, to be the right person, to do the right thing with her, take care of her, do the things that need to be done. I do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And religion doesn't have to play a part of that to be able to do the right thing. And I think that that's kind of where she may be coming from is if it was really authentic, they wouldn't have to use that 
as a reason why. Well, I uh, certainly am always going to be interested in the reasons someone accepts or rejects a God belief, but there is no question I could have done a better job of sort of making sure that the temperature of what I was doing was welcome <laughs> and glad you escaped. <laughs> and I know Britney Spears didn't give a rat's ass what a guy like me would say or think about it, but if she was listening, I would say, take your journey on your own terms, good for you, what can we do to help? And I think that's fair. Exactly. Dana, I appreciate you calling so very much, and I appreciate your input. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, my pleasure. Have a great day. All right. See you later. I've got 716. Bonnie, are you with me, Bonnie? Yes, it's Bunny like a bunny rabbit. Bunny. Oh, I'm sorry. Thanks for calling, yeah. Bunny. Oh, What's no on your worries. mind? What, what are you uh, thinking today? Um. Yeah, so people mentioning true crime, uh, I just wanted to offer up. I was a federal informant for the FBI, and I've watched true crime from the opposite side. I've spent many years watching to see what happens with the story that I lived and then how that story changes like a game of telephone. And I do have a guess as to why true crime is popular, if you'd like to hear it. I would. I think true crime is a contemporary form of oral history. And because of that, and because it brands itself as true, people don't realize how many hands it's changed or that there's no accountability with the telling of the stories. So people can alter the stories to be more and more sensationalized and hop on whatever they think is compelling. Therefore, the end result ends up being incredibly compelling possibly more so than the truth. So an embellished true crime story is going to get higher ratings, grab the public consciousness, and because we don't give much quarter for the reputations of the killers or the alleged killers, producers, documentary filmmakers, authors, etc., feel like they can take creative license to sort of amplify the violence, etc.? I think they can amplify the violence, but they can also represent people in a way that's less dimensional. So like they can be oversimplified. They can pr make presumptions about people and their motives. There's really only room for like good people and bad people, but not anybody's humanity. It well, makes it fun to watch because it takes out all of the uncomfortable bits of the story besides the violence itself, in my opinion. And I find it fascinating. I understand because I've watched I actually have to keep track of the YouTube documentaries or not really documentaries, but content. For instance, the person or the podcast that was mentioned, um, My Favorite Murder, the crime that I had to help investigate was featured on that. And I have become familiar with those things because I can't stop the compulsion of like, okay, what are they going to say about me? Even though I know that I might need to take a bit afterwards to be like, I understand these people don't know me or what I did, you know, I have to qualify that. But I just kind of wanted to offer a human perspective, not just on the armchair, but my life has been dramatically affected by it. I mean, I've skirted homelessness because of it. I am interested in, I'm not sure exactly how far to take this, when you say FBI informant, what are we talking about? I spent two weeks recording an ex-boyfriend. He then confessed a murder to me, and... I had to testify for two days on the standing court. I was outed, personal parts of my life, my name, my sexuality, relationship information. I was slut-shamed on the stand. I was kink-shamed on the stand. It happens. The stories are not just stories. Like, there are people involved. And I actually, even people that are relations or family, 
they do get harmed. Obviously, I stepped into it knowing that there were going to be things that were very difficult. But, and of course, I'm not thinking that everybody's story is my story. I have my narrative, but I don't want to hide from it, you know? To make sure I'm understanding, this was a high-profile enough case that it was represented on true crime broadcasts? Oh, yeah. There was a 2020 episode, an information discovery episode, okay. multiple podcasts, YouTube, for for years. Okay. Well, Bunny, I, I need to can. stop for just a second. I am more than willing to slice that whole last three minutes out of the broadcast if you would rather it not be a part of the final show. You know, talking about your experience. I don't want to put you on the spot after so many people have had the spotlight on you. Okay. What I'm saying is I want people to understand that there are real people. So if you could include that, I would appreciate it. Because if people understand that these are people, I'm not going to say people are going to stop watching true crime, but I would like to just add some nuance to that. And if, if that's okay, I mean, I don't need to go on and on. I no, no, absolutely. I just want to make sure we weren't people. peering in your windows in an in inappropriate I, way. You know what I'm saying? So. I know very clearly what my boundaries are. Okay. I'm very well versed in that. Uh, I, I offered my voice freely and you can take what of it you would like. So your point is we need to watch these shows with the uh, knowledge that we may not be getting either the full picture, we may be getting a one-dimensional picture, or we may be seeing an amplification or over-dramatization for the purposes of entertaining the public. Would that be fair? Yes, that's exactly what, that's exactly true. Okay. Um, All right, Bunny. And also just the accountability. I won't talk much more. You're great. You can hang. Let's hang the whole. (laughs) You can hang as long as you want. Are you doing okay, Bunny? I I am. I am. Um, It's to a point where I actually want to use my voice, and I'm working on content for people like informants, for people who have been affected by it, because unfortunately, a lot of people in those circumstances don't use their voice because they're frightened. And I wanted to see those voices and I didn't see them. So as someone who incredibly um, enjoys writing a lot, uh, I very much wanted to use my words, not to talk about myself, but to write something or content that actually helps people either in the situations or helps people be aware of what might be happening because I've never seen that before. And I'd like to create that, and I'm working on that, but I think I need time to look critically at my own view and not just react, and so that's what I've been doing. Is that uh, healing for you to do these things? Incredibly, incredibly. I, I love reading biographies or other people's stories and thinking, oh, I really agree with that, or you know what, I don't think that's true. I'm just kind of looking at my experience and then looking at contemporary memoirs or information or politics and thinking, oh my gosh, nobody's doing this. It makes me feel like my purpose is not to serve and stand on the witness stand. My purpose is starting to become, maybe someone should talk about this. And it's something that will take a while, but I have time. I have a lot of it. I guess the message once again is stay skeptical out there. And uh, Bunny, I'm so glad you provided a reminder of that. So big hugs for me, and I'm sure everybody in the audience on your journey, and thanks for calling. Yeah, hopefully hopefully that helps people. Uh, Uh, Thank you for having me. You betcha. Take care. Katie 
at 863. Are you there? I am. Can you hear me? I can indeed. What do you want to talk about? So I wanted to talk about how I find it interesting how certain people extract themselves from certain hard tenets of Christianity, yet they want to hold on to the religion itself. For example, I have a friend who is a gay Christian, and he's a wonderful person, and like he's just awesome. But I find the term gay Christian, in my personal opinion, to be a little bit oxymoronical. And it's just a little bit strange to have these conversations with him where I don't know how to explain it. It's like he, there's no need for him to hold on to Christianity, in my opinion, but he still does. And I still am trying to navigate these waters of being respectful of people who still call themselves Christians, but they don't hold to the very traditional, straightforward way of Christianity that I was raised with, if that makes any sense. Like, and I don't ever want to be disrespectful or, you know, be a jerk when we're talking about these things. But sometimes, you know, for example, he's a friend from an opera chorus that I'm involved with, and we're putting together a recital at his church. And I told him the accompanist we hired is an atheist. And I made a comment where I was like, I'm sure he's fine as long as no one tries to convert him. And my friend was like, well, these are Presbyterians, honey. We don't like confrontation. We love you, you know, give you food and win you over to Jesus Christ with love, and then you join. And I'm like, okay, but isn't that still a little bit backhanded and condescending, even though you have the best of intentions? Like, am I, is that making any sense? I... I just find that that rubs me a little bit the wrong way when people are like, oh, you just haven't met the right loving Jesus, and they assume that I haven't just done research on my own to find my personal reasons for not believing in the divinity of Jesus. Does that make sense? Oh, Katie, I hear it all the time. And it's interesting to watch people. I posted something just a few days ago about the different cultures who all have different actual portraits of Jesus. In uh, many black church communities, they have a black Jesus. Hispanic churches, they'll have a Hispanic Jesus. There's an Asian Jesus. There's a Native American Jesus. Of course, there's a white Jesus. And it's interesting how our Jesuses tend to look a lot like us. I find that very telling. Let's say you're a Mm -hmm. Christian and you are a non-heterosexual, but you find comfort in the idea of a loving God and heaven after this life or whatever. Well, the idea of throwing everything out is pretty scary. It's a lot easier just to take, you know, sort of a Sharpie, mark out all the stuff that makes you crazy or uncomfortable, and now you've got your own sort of custom-fashioned religion where you can exist and everything sort of kind of works, but it's something you fabricated. And I think that may be the case with your friends. It could be possible. We haven't talked about it too extensively because we do love and respect each other. And I think it's something we don't want to have an argument about or anything. So we try to be a little bit careful about it. I think my main problem with people like him and my family in particular, he's not so bad about it, but is that sort of gaslighting condescension where they try to make it feel like I'm the one who's blind. And from my perspective, I don't understand how people who are grown adults and who have had the opportunity to step outside of that brainwashing and of that constant barrage of you have to believe this and it's true and the world is lying to you. 
how do those people not ever come to understand that it's more about conditioning? There's a film, an Oscar-winning film called Room, and it's about a woman who was kidnapped and kept for years in a locked basement, and she had a child, and the child grew up in this single room his whole life. And the child was totally unaware that there was any other life or world or environment or situation outside of that room. And when the television was on, it was always, well, this is all made up. These things don't really exist. They're just movies. And after, I don't know how many years, seven years in captivity, this poor woman then is trying to make her escape, trying to convince her son that they need to get out. And she attempts to tell him, well, I've been lying, or I've been wrong, and all the things on this television are actually happening. There is a world outside this box, and the kid could not process. Boy, just tilt, tilt, tilt. And I think that may be a relatively good metaphor for a lot of people. When you grow up and something is normal, it's all you've seen and touched and heard and known, and someone then says there's a greater world outside. Your brain overloads. Yeah. You're uncomfortable. You're scared. And it's a lot easier to retreat into the familiar. And I think for me, the thing that's difficult and, you know, in my general life, you know, hanging out with my significant other and my coworkers, like I work with entertainment people who are all, you know, very liberal and very, a lot of gay people, a lot of people of color, you know, who have been through things beyond what I was raised around. And it can be really difficult to get back into those circles, you know, like family Thanksgiving or whatever. And then all of a sudden I'm treated like I'm the one who's stupid somehow, or I'm the one who has a problem. And it's, I don't, and you know, my pastor parents, they've gone out into the world. They've watched secular movies. They've been exposed to worldly things outside of Christianity. And it, just astonishes me that none of their exposure to things outside of this mindset has been enough to convince them that it isn't true. It is frustrating, isn't it? Um, but I'm not really one to talk because it took me decades. There's so many gears in the machine, Katie. But if I can encourage you, I know what it's like to be sort of pawed at, to be given that look of subtle condescension you poor poor broken thing one day we hopefully will see you return to the fold you prodigal blah 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 even when they don't say it out loud you feel it you feel it don't you katie you feel it in the yeah. air you are just fine the way you are no gods required you are not a broken thing you are a valuable amazing wonderful worthy Thing. And uh, if you'll forgive my use of the word thing, just take that in which this, the spirit in which it's <laughs> intended, Katie. And, uh, you know, next time you get frustrated, I hope you're reminded that there are other people out there who do get you for who you are. And we support that. And we think it's amazing. You're liberated. You're free. You're living on your own terms and good for you. Okay. Okay. I appreciate that. Right. I would love to bring Matt Dillahunty to family thanksgiving or something but you know that would cause chaos <laughs> uh, yeah you better put helmets and uh, shoulder pads and <laughs> dillahunty at a holiday dinner with religious people ah, that'd be a lot of fun that'd be fun bring cameras and microphones katie be good take care and we'll see you later okay okay thank right. you Seth. see you
Bye. There are people smarter than me that can get into the psychology of belief, why we hold on to the things we hold on to, even when they are destructive, even when they have been debunked. There are so many things, so many influences, whether it's the way we were raised or our own personalities, our desires, our hurts, our needs, uh, our, um, you know, our humanity so often feeds into this, I don't know, desire for there to be a reason with a capital R. There is a master plan for everything. There is a divine caregiver. We are loved no matter how shitty things get here on planet Earth. One day we'll see our lost child or grandmother or friend or whoever together in a happy place in the sky, you know. I mean, there, there are probably a thousand different reasons that people stay inside that safe little membrane. Even when they're the most casual of casual of casual Christians, they still must insist they are a Christian. What are the reasons for that? I think there are so very many. I appreciate you. Thanks for the calls and the kind words. I'm going uh, to go watch some true crime just uh, to relax. <laughs> and then I'm going to work on Ghost Stories, the podcast for the month of October. And I will be, uh, and I'll be back here, and we shall rendezvous again, my dear friends. You take care. Follow the Thinking Atheist on Facebook and Twitter for a complete archive of podcasts and videos, products like mugs and T-shirts featuring the Thinking Atheist logo, links to atheist pages and resources, and details on upcoming free thought events and conventions. Log on to our website, thethinkingatheist.com.